to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. I got to tell you what, it doesn't take much for people to slip back into sort of the old way of behaving and just kind of slip back into the matrix. And there's a there's a number of things I want to go over here in this episode. And again, there's some audio that I want to play and a couple of stories that I want to read and then sort of some nurse information about what's going on with... Um, some of the hospitals in particular in Florida, although I'm certain it's happening countless other places. Uh, and I'd also like to read a little bit from a new book that I'm that I'm reading and actually have already finished. And it's uh, a small book and it's fantastic. And I'll get to that toward the end. But the thing that I wanted to comment on here first is now that football games are taking place again, both at the college and professional level, I guess, there are a great deal of individuals who are saying to themselves things like, wow, isn't it great that we're back to normal? Or, wow, isn't it great that we're getting back to normal? Or, gee, look at all of these college students all packed in like sardines at, at a football game. This is fantastic. We're all back to normal. And they kind of keep saying that. And there's a lot of posts on Gab about that. And there's a lot of posts on you know Gateway Pundit and a lot of other things. At face value, to a person who, again, may not be fully awake. That may look fine to them, and they may actually believe that. But as I've covered on this podcast, and countless other people have too, is that in many of those universities, getting jabbed is a requirement for them to attend those universities. So, for example, on Gab, I made a comment in response to someone else who seemed to think that 100,000 students at an Ohio State game all packed into their stadium, again, like sardines. It's a good thing, and oh, we're all back to normal, and the entire thing is fake, and blah, blah, blah. And again, I responded to them, and I said, look, being jabbed, again, is a requirement at Ohio State, and you have to be fully jabbed by November, which means the people that you're seeing there who are still attending that rag of a university are jabbed. So you have 100,000 people all jabbed, all hanging around one another. I mean, I'm sorry. I just, knowing the health effects of what's going on and and the health effects of the jabbed. I mean, the jabbed are still making the jabbed sick by being around them too. So I want people to keep that in mind that, you know, when they start seeing these things and they start actually saying to themselves, oh, look, we're back to normal. Oh, thank God we're back to normal. There's no going back to the way that things were. There just isn't. We are, we are, again, in my opinion, and I'm not, I'm not singular in this regard, but we are on a, on a path towards something else here. And um, countless, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, that's an understatement, I think. Look, look at what's happened with business. Look what's happened with education. Look what's happened with the medical profession. Oh, but at least we all got together and we went to a football game. And everybody's there who's, you know, everybody is, is jabbed there and everything, you know, but whatever. I mean, don't, don't pay attention to that fact. Don't pay attention to the fact that Ohio State's forcing the jab on everybody, including all their staff members. And if they don't get jabbed by November, then they're, you know, then they're gone. They'll get kicked out of the school or they'll get fired. Again, th- there's no normal here and there's no going back. And there shouldn't be, frankly, because again, it's war, and people need to understand that, and uh, I sure hope that people will will continue to just not see things in one dimension and say, oh, look, 
that's an old thing we used to do and now we're doing it again, that means everything is fine. It's, it's, it's just not. Um, and I'm going to let this student right here do the talking, uh, do the talking for me. Um, came across this just now. I tossed it up on Gab. And uh, yeah, so give this a listen. And he's a Division One college athlete, so to speak. He took the jabs and now has myocarditis. I am in the hospital right now with heart complications from the COVID-19 vaccine. And I want to inform as many people as I can about the risks from taking the vaccine that I wish someone would have told me. So I am a Division One student athlete with no prior health issues. And I got the second COVID shot Tuesday. And within four days, I have been diagnosed with myocarditis and was told that I probably won't be able to play my senior season now. It is a side effect from the... COVID vaccine, and it's really not being reported or addressed, and it is a serious issue that we should all be informed about before making this decision. It isn't right for people to be forced to take the vaccine because there are actual side effects like this that could happen to you, and the NCAA should not mandate student-athletes to get the vaccine because of what could happen to so many fellow student-athletes. Um, health issues, which has happened to me. Everyone should be informed of the side effects and no one should be forced to take something that could cause what has happened to me. And no one knows the long-term effects of what's um, possibly going to happen from this. And um, it's kind of uncharted territories because everyone else with the same heart issues from the vaccine as me, we're all being tracked and monitored. We're basically like test subjects from the vaccine. So it's a very serious issue that really needs to be spread. And I've spoken with some other student athletes that have also had to have either heart surgery or um, have had heart issues from this. And um, it's, it's very scary stuff. And a lot of people in our age group apparently are at higher risk for heart issues from the vaccine, and um, it really does need to be um, talked about. First of all, I want to make this abundantly clear. I feel terrible for him. I feel absolutely terrible for him. I really do. I feel terrible for anybody that's taken these and they had no idea what, 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 you know, what's going on and what this, what this big picture is all about. I feel awful. It doesn't bring me any joy whatsoever. I'm not a monster. Uh, it just it brings me no joy. I'm glad he's awake now. I'm glad he sees the problem here. Uh, myocarditis is not a side effect. I wouldn't put it that way. It's not a side effect of, of the COVID jabs. It's an intentional. It's just a big intentional. And it's one of countless intentionals associated with all of this, as we all know. The other thing is that a lot of people too online are, after seeing that video are saying things like lawsuits, lawsuits, lawsuits. All these colleges in the NCAA are going to have lawsuits. No, it's not. I don't think it's going to be lawsuits. It's going to be elimination. They're going to be eliminated because again, when people connect the dots and they say, okay, 
these institutions over here are making people take a poison or else they can't attend said institutions. And that poison is killing people and causing massive ill harm to them in a variety of ways. Why would you sue that institution? You can't sue them because you signed on the dotted line, pretty much, at least as far as I know. Therefore, their complete elimination is the only option. Complete removal from these institutions is really the only way forward. And again, why would you keep attending these institutions when these institutions are, are killing people with their policies and hiding countless things? It's, it's beyond absurd. Uh, and it's not going to get any easier here over time. It, it's, it's just really, really not. So, again, I feel terrible for him. I hope that people listen to what he just said. It's not just a do-your-own-research kind of thing. It's a don't-ever-take-this-ever kind of thing. And people really have to interpret it that way. And, uh, you know, individuals need to stop being soft on the messaging regarding these jabs. So, I don't know. All that kind of ties together, and it's just really, really unfortunate. But again, I'm going to keep paying attention to this. Uh, I'm going to keep bringing up a number of different things and, and different avenues of, of, of course, what's going on with all of this. Um, and there is this other related thing which I wanted to mention too, and I actually read the newspaper for the first time just the other day. And I don't read the paper anymore, and thank God for that. But there was an article in there from the New York Times, which means every word in it, of course, was horrific, and they're trying to normalize insanity as much as they can. It had to do with professors across the United States who are masked up, jabbed up, and they are sick and tired of looking at students who aren't wearing masks and how they can't understand why their unmasked students are putting other people in harm's way. I want people to sort of digest that brainwashing there because that is, I mean, that's, that's seven dimensions of brainwashing all smacked into one. The, the, the jabbed and mass professors believe that they're actually helping people. And they actually think that people walking around who haven't had the jabs, who aren't wearing a mask 24-7, 365, that those people are the problem. This is how far we've come. Some individuals, again, have, have consumed the Kool-Aid to such an extent that there's absolutely no saving them. You can't fix that. Again, that level of brainwashing among those college professors and university professors and school teachers, and we know that they're all out there, but there's no fixing that. Those people are gone now. They're gone. They're still here. They're still walking around like everything is, you know, whatever. Not necessarily fine, but they're walking around uh, because they're still alive. But goodness gracious, I, I, I don't think they have any idea what they, I mean, they clearly don't. They have no idea what they've done. They have no idea what's coming. And um, it's just, again, it's a level of brainwashing that I never actually thought that I would be able to see, um, let alone witness, because it really is a perfect example of what happens when you don't live in the matrix and then you see people who live in it and then behave and act particular ways as they live in the matrix. But they have no idea. And... Um, I, again, I, I can't think of a more unhealthy environment than a university setting that's either 
highly encouraging or forcing individuals to wear masks or get jabs. Um, no different in K-12 education. I just don't think that there's a more unhealthy environment. So speaking of K-12 education, check this out. This comes from the Epoch Times. And if anybody's curious as to what's going on in New York City schools, because again, a while back, the mayor mandated that all, um, again, a mandate's not a law, but they mandated, he mandated, that all New York City schools be jabbed to the bone. That all of the teachers get jabbed and as many students as humanly possible get jabbed. Because again, the jabs work as far as he's concerned, but of course we know that that is far from the truth. The exact opposite is in fact a fact. So, this is titled, and this is a weird one, so bear with me here, because again, right when you think it's, it's a good thing, it turns out it's not a good thing even. This is titled, New York City Teachers Union Wins Battle Over COVID-19 Vaccine Mandate. Sounds like a victory, but it's really not. So give this a listen. It says, quote, New York City's largest teachers union has won a battle to keep teachers and other educators employed if they suffer from certain medical conditions and don't want to comply as a result with the Big Apple's COVID-19 vaccine mandate. An arbiter ruled late Friday that teachers with certain documented medical afflictions must be offered assignments outside of the classroom and kept on the city's payroll. So they basically can't be school teachers anymore. That was the deal that they reached, among other things, and I'll get into that right now. It also says, other educators who didn't want a COVID-19 vaccine must be offered unpaid leave that keeps in place their health coverage or a severance package. City officials announced last month that all 148,000 Department of Education employees would have to get a COVID-19 vaccine with limited exemptions. The city planned to remove people who were granted an exemption from the payroll, infuriating the United Federation of Teachers, UFT, the city's largest teachers union. Quote, that was it for us, Michael Mulgrew. Okay. Michael Mulgrew, the union's president, said on New York One this week. That prompted pushback, which ultimately resulted in the arbitration decision even after New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio seemed to publicly reverse the stance in a press conference on Wednesday. De Blasio said that a few cases of medical or religious exemptions being granted are expected, but they will be honored if approved. Quote, these folks will continue to work for us in some capacity in some location. We got to work that through, we got to work that through, he added, referring to the arbitration. And it continues on and on and on. Here's the point. Point is, is that if they de- if they decline the jab, they can't teach anymore. That's still in place, but they're still paying them to do something else outside of the classroom, probably away from the entire building. New York City, arguably, has one of the most backwards teachers unions that exists in the nation, because again, th- they have a uh, a very long track record of putting teachers in padded rooms that they disagree with, but they basically can't fire them. So the administration puts them there. They put them on either paid or unpaid administrative leave. They keep them in these padded rooms. They tell them to do aimless work on a computer day in and day out. And then there are countless teachers, of course, that just don't do any of that. They sit in a room all day long, not a classroom, but another room in another building, and they just get paid 
because again, they're on union, they're they're members of the union, and as a result of that, they essentially can't get fired because there's that whole tenure thing that does exist in a lot of those school buildings, and it's it's uh, it's beyond confusing. But again, reading the headline, you'd say, oh, they don't have to get jabbed. Well, that's great. Well, yes and no. They basically now are uh, are being paid by taxpayers to do nothing. And so if they quit, then they'll stop getting paid. But if they don't quit, then they'll continue to either get paid or not get paid, but they'll still have health care benefits and they'll still have retirement benefits, so to speak. And um, that's, that's essentially it. But they're kicking them out of the classroom nonetheless. So it looks like that's stayed in place. And again, it's... It's absolute tyranny. I don't know how else to describe it. So there you go. Spe- again, speaking of tyranny, it just kind of continues here. Um, and this is from a while back, except, again, it's it's getting closer and closer to the timeline, so there's going to be more and more stories about this. But this comes from the sun.com, or I'm sorry, the sun.co.uk, and it's titled, Vax to School. Ah, wordplay. Vax to School. Mass COVID vaccination in schools for kids aged 12 to 15 to start from September 22nd after green light from chief medics. A mass COVID jab rollout for kids aged 12 to 15 years old is reported to be announced next week, which would be this week. Um, Let's see. The move follows a review by the chief medical officers, CMOs, of all four UK nations led by Professor Chris Whitty. Last week, the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunization said children would receive only marginal health benefits, although it did consider the benefits of keeping kids in school. In response to this, the UK's medical officers, chief medical officers rather, have been drawing up advice for government on whether children aged 12 to 15 should be vaccinated. But the observer understands the COVID jabs program for kids is set to go ahead and will begin on the 22nd of September. So there you go. And again, as I stated, even on Gab, they've essentially said, if you attend a UK school, you're going to get jabbed. And we know how that's going to work. Um, I, can't, I can't yell the word homeschool any, any more than this. Again, even Dr. Mike Eden said this just a couple of weeks ago, that you've got to pull your children out of these schools now, 100%. Because in the UK, they'll jab you without parental consent. They'll jab these children anyway. And that's called murder. So we're going to keep an eye on that one because, again, that's not going to get better with time. This is um, this is the worst bottle of wine in the history of bottles of wine. It's just, it's not going to age well at all. So here's another one. And again, I know it's all jab news right now and I, I don't know what else to say. Um, it's intertwined within everything that everybody's doing. So, yeah. This is an older article, but it is worth mentioning because, again, as you might expect, there were some unknowledgeable individuals who were unaware as to why, in my little talk there at the old school board meeting, that I brought up the timeline of six months to three to five years. And I I don't know if I've explained that fully as to why that was the case. I brought up that number because that's the number that that was used within the animal trials. 
It's not that it took animals that long to pass away after reinfection after they've taken the jabs. It's quite the opposite, as a matter of fact. As you would expect, the life of an animal, like rats or dogs or what have you, is different for humans. So let me explain very briefly the mathematical breakdown for the difference in the ages and the age ranges. And again, I tossed this up on Gab, but I understand not everybody's on Gab and they probably can't read it and that's fine. Which is why I mention again a lot of the posts that I make on Gab just to just to repeat them because I, I think they're important. Um, essentially, two weeks for a rat is equivalent to one year for a human, give or take. So if you have one month for a rat or that something impacts them within one month and then they either die or there's a dramatic change in, in, in either their behavior or something that happens – one month for a rat is equivalent to three years, give or take, for a human. Two and a half, three years. So the point is, is that a number of these health effects are going to start showing themselves around that time. And this is, again, something that we're going to have to keep an eye on, clearly. Um, th this particular article, though, was from a while back, and I'm, there's a little audio here I'm going to play as well with Dr. Fleming. And... He's been a guest on numerous shows um, over the last number of months here, but the title of this, again, this is back from June, but the title of this is Spike Proteins Enter the Brain Causing Inflammation of Lewy Bodies, which is Alzheimer's, and Spongiformal Encephalopathy, which is mad cow disease, in five to six weeks in animal studies. So, five to six weeks. If that was the case with the animal studies, which again, the animals died after reinfection. So they were jabbed and then they were reinfected with a pathogen, a basic coronavirus, common cold for example. And then they passed away, all of them, regardless of the animal, whether it was monkeys, ferrets, ra uh, rabbits, rats, you name it. So if we're talking four to six weeks in an animal study, you're talking anywhere from three years to even three and a half years for humans. And yes, that's probably going to depend on the strength of the person's immune system. And again, even Dr. Zelenko has brought this up very recently, that it's going to depend on um, an individual's proclivity to particular health issues from a genetic standpoint. If blood clotting runs in the family, then you're going to likely have that as being a problem, um, either immediately or short, certainly in the, in the short to long term. So again, with that said, let me uh, play this little audio here from Dr. Fleming, and you can hear it straight from him. First, let me thank you for the invitation to be here. Um, her story is not at all unexpected. Uh, people that have been looking at the spike protein, which everybody has become familiar with, with, with this virus, understand that the protein itself, whether it's part of the virus or if it's just being made from the vaccines, can cross the blood-brain barrier and cause damage to the brain. So there have been a couple very nice animal studies that have been done. And when those studies have been done, they found both what's called spongiform encephalopathy, which means that the brain looks like a sponge, which is what you see in mad cow disease. And they have found inflammation in Lewy bodies, 
which is the cause of Alzheimer's disease. And these animal models have shown this in a very short period of time. In the mice studies that were done, it took two weeks. And in the rhesus monkey models, it took about five to six weeks for that type of damage or injury to the brain to happen. So a major difference between just getting this from person to person transfer is the amount of spike protein that people get exposed to. It's relatively small when you get a person-to-person transfer compared to what's going on with the vaccines because the vaccines themselves contain billions of either mRNA molecules or DNA molecules that cause your cells to make these spike proteins. And the belief that those spike proteins or the vaccines stay right where they're injected is is incorrect because Moderna itself published a study a few years back in 2016, 2017, using the same technology, this lipid nanoparticle, this cholesterol lipid layering of its influenza vaccine. And when the animal studies were done, they found that the vaccine did not stay where it was injected. It had spread throughout the body, including the brain. And these lipid nanoparticles are exquisitely uh, designed to cross the blood-brain barrier as well. So again, the conditions that are brought about as a result of all of this are clearly important. Um, the timeline, I think, is equally as important. And we can walk and chew gum at the same time and tap our heads and rub our bellies at the same time. So paying attention to both of these things at the same time is certainly going to be important moving forward. I also saw this other presentation, which I wanted to mention. It was a very interesting presentation, PowerPoint presentation, but two individuals discussing, again, the combination between the 5G technology and the individuals who have received the jabs and essentially the radiation that's taking place within the individuals who have received the jabs and their proximity to 5G is essentially what I'm saying. And there is a correlation between the two. So also not an accident, but uh, it's certainly a frightening thing. And again, that's something that we need to continue to observe and look into and continue to pay attention to. They also mentioned, however, that given the, and I, I haven't brought this up too much in the past, but occasionally, the magnetism that's associated with the jabs. Just very quickly, again, there's a lot of detox options that do exist, and I'm going to get into a couple of those here at the end um, once, I'm, once I'm done reading one more thing. But apparently just two of those options include Qcertin and NAC, or N-acetylcysteine. And the website that I've discussed in the past where I've suggested that anybody can go and pick these up is lifeextension.com. So again, I'm not affiliated with them in the slightest, um, but that's where I get a lot of my supplements, and I would would highly recommend that. If if countless individuals now are suggesting that those are excellent detox options, uh, again, they're basic supplements um, for both cardiovascular and Uh, respiratory health, and they help eliminate the graphene oxide that's associated with the jabs, then all the more reason to have some, I suppose. So why not? Um, Okay, one more thing before I read a section out of this book that I I picked up uh, a few weeks back called The One Minute Cure. There is this 
another website I highly recommend, and it's titled um, GodlikeProductions.com. It's, again, an, uh, an anonymous chat board, and there's a lot of interesting stories over here and a lot of uh, updated news and some really good information. So, again, you got to keep in mind, again, this is an anonymous post that I'm about to read, but it's certainly worth thinking about, and I can even attest to some of this personally because um, they're going to go unnamed, but I have it on pretty good authority from a listener of the podcast that nurses are getting paid uh, an extra amount of money for either overtime or just to maintain their own job. Some of them are receiving, again, 60 to $90 an hour plus just to stick around. And the number, as it turns out, is even higher than that. And uh, here we go. I'm just going to jump right into this post, and it's titled, Docs and nurses being bribed to go along with Scandemic. Solid Uncle Intel. And here we go. I'm just going to read the entire thing. So it says, quote, Money printers have unlimited access to money. They are now using it to bribe nurses and docs to go along with the scam. We need more confirmation this is happening. Just a few honest people stepping forward will put an end to this crime wave. The people at the top in government must know this is happening. It'll have to go out through the people. From a friend in Florida, no link is available. This is genuine Uncle Intel. Let's see how the shills respond to this one, LOL. Okay, it says this, quote, Big note here. Wild and woolly convo this evening with an active top-line nurse specialist. First-hand knowledge tonight. Nurse from Broward County, Florida. Offer $15,000 per week to, to continue to go along with the mass fraud in Florida. $60,000 per month. Enormous numbers for nurses are getting paid here. She fears for her life right now. It says doctors are making over a hundred to 300000 per month to go along with it. Anyone not willing to go along are terminated and blacklisted. These records exist, she says, equals she has been going through internal, doc, in, internal docs at Lee County System here that prove all of it is a fraud and has seen the fraudulent docs and medical records as they're being manipulated and that everyone virtually knows it's all bullshit and that they are in on it to get paid huge amounts. And that 100% of the patients coming in as of right now are all double-jabbed as well as with boosters. She says that the hospitals in Florida are filling up with nearly 100% patients vaxxed and they're all clotting out. Skin falling off, massive black spots from skin clotting, etc. from the description she laid out. Huge numbers are showing up now. We are in the quickening phases of right now. I, su I suspect when the real dying begins, thus the necessity to mandate the vax in order to continue to run, run cover for the subterfuge and plausible deniability. She said all of the news and main hospital staff are completely bought off and that people are getting weird about her and she feels like she may be killed soon. Said in Florida, They've got less than 30 days to take the jab or be fired, and apparently large numbers are already short-staffed hospitals are going to walk what is left. The rest are getting paid off with ridiculous amounts to keep it going. This is from tonight. All of it is what she reported, as well as none of the rolling portable morgue trucks are full of anything but air. The hospitals are filling with blacks and Hispanics, she said, with the sickness, and she said something very strange as well. 
She said nearly none of them are white unless they have been double-jabbed or boosted three times, etc., unquote. So, you can take that with a grain of salt if you'd like. I have no doubt that things like that are happening. We know that the hospitals are in on this to a large extent. We know that the crime wave in the hospital policy that's taking place here uh, is rampant, and it's just getting people killed. We know that their policies are to inoculate them, test them, test them, retest them, and keep testing them until they test positive. If they do, they give them drugs, and then they intubate them. And when they intubate them, they get paid a ton of money just for intubating them. And once that happens, 85% of them end up dead as a result. So it's all horrific, of course, but again, just more things to keep an eye on. And certainly having a friend or a family member within a hospital setting, um, is going to be a good resource and hopefully they remain alive and everything remains fine with them, uh, regardless of where they live and where they are. But staying in touch with people like that and figuring out what's continuing to go on within the hospitals is going to be a big move going forward. Okay. Now here's the last thing. And I wanted to mention, first of all, I wanted to thank the Kate Daly show for having me on. Uh, they reached out to me, asked me if I would be on the program. I said, sure. And it took a few days to get back and forth, but we, we got it ironed out. And then um, I was a guest on her show last Thursday. So again, I highly recommend checking out her show. And I just wanted to thank her again for having me on. Um, I did want to expand on something that I brought up on her show. And this comes directly again from an excellent book, which I highly recommend. And I know Amazon's not the best outlet, but it is available on Amazon. And it's titled The One Minute Cure. The Secret to Healing Virtually All Diseases by Madison Cavanaugh. And uh, let's see, on page 45, I did mention this when I was on her show, and I wanted to bring it up here and then expand on it a little bit more because, again, it's a very interesting preventative move here that is brought up in this book throughout. And I want to make it abundantly clear again, I'm not a medical doctor, but I am literate. And I highly recommend, again, that you pick this book up because, again, it lays out exactly what to do specifically regarding the ingestion or inhalation of hydrogen peroxide and what that actually does to the human body and how it increases the oxygen level within the human body in all parts of the body. They lay out exactly how to do it. So don't, uh, you know, definitely don't take my word for it and then sue me. That would be a bad idea, but um, <clears throat> certainly bad for me too. But you've got to read exactly what's in here and then make up your own mind and make up your own decision. But here on page 45, it says the following, and I wanted to read this before I get into some of the more specifics regarding the hydrogen peroxide. It says, quote, one of the most important discoveries supporting oxygen therapy occurred in 1931 when Dr. Otto Warburg won the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine for proving that viruses cannot proliferate or exist in an environment with high levels of oxygen. That's because viruses are anaerobic, which means that they occur and thrive in absence in the absence of oxygen. Dr. Warburg has quoted has been quoted as saying, quote, deprive a cell of 35% of its oxygen for 48 hours and it may become cancerous, unquote. He further stated that the prime cause of cancer is insufficient oxygen at the cellular level and that cancer cells cannot survive in a high oxygen environment. 
And then in, in the next box here, it says, quote, One out of every three adults in America has cancer, but most incidences are as yet undiagnosed and undetected. Additionally, every human being has cancer cells existing in the body which are just seeking a low-oxygen environment where they can multiply into a full-blown disease. And then again, just to wrap up the uh, paragraph here, it says the following, quote, There have been countless studies proving conclusively that increased oxygenation, whether in the form of hydrogen peroxide, ozone, or hyperbaric oxygen, brings about the destruction of viruses. Cancerous tumors shrink when they are put into contact with oxygen. The studies conducted by other researchers and doctors have proven that not only cancer cells, but almost all toxins, bacteria, viruses, pathogens, and disease microorganisms are oxidized and killed in high oxygen environments. Now what I can tell you is this, that the consultation I had a while back with a Dr. Cruz, and again, you can get this PDF for free on my website, AmericanEducationFM.com. You can check out the documents section and you'll see a PDF there that's free for download. Um, it's a two-page PDF. It describes a number of different supplements, again, that a person can take, but specifically it talks about nebulizing 3% food-grade hydrogen peroxide mixed in with distilled water at approximately a 50-50 percentage. So 50%, 3% food grade hydrogen peroxide and 50% uh, distilled water. Um, I have a nebulizer. I've used it before. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it certainly seems to help a little bit, no doubt about it. I, I'm not using it chronically like I probably should. Um, but Within this book, they take a different approach, although it's it's for the exact same purpose. So I want to read this and not scare anybody away per se, but again, that's why I recommend you get the book and you don't take my word for it and just uh, start drinking this because it can be poison and it is poison and it's flammable and it burns the skin and all that other stuff. In particular, the higher the percentage. So here's what it says. It says, again, this is not the nebulizing part. This is actual just ingestion, so to speak. On page 73, it says internal use of hydrogen peroxide. If you plan to ingest hydrogen peroxide as part of your therapy, clearly you will want to use only the 35% food grade formula. At this strength, however, the product must be handled with care. It will burn your skin if you spill any, and it is flammable. Should it come in direct contact with your skin, flush it out with water immediately. Under no circumstances should you ingest undiluted hydrogen peroxide. If it's slightly over 10% strength, hydrogen peroxide causes neurological damage. Be careful to dilute hydrogen peroxide properly using the suggested protocol in the table below. And then it continues, and again, they're talking about using 35% uh, 35 food-grade hydrogen peroxide. And then on the next page, page 74, they have an entire chart. And again, it's a way to not only detox the body, but it's a way to increase the amount of oxygen that your body has within it so that the cells can basically heal themselves and uh, and you can heal yourself without having to take a bunch of medicine. So it has days 1 through 23 listed on the left-hand column and then it suggests that on day 1 you take 3 drops of 35% food grade hydrogen peroxide diluted in 6 to 8 ounces of distilled water and that you do that 3 times daily. And then on day two, it basically says kick it up to four drops 
within the same amount of water to dilute it within distilled water, again, six to eight ounces, and do that three times daily. All the way down to day 23, you're basically working your way up to 25 drops, and that that's done three times a day. So I'm going to leave that to you. <clears throat> I'm not there yet. I'm not to the point of doing that yet, and I may never. But again, as Dr. Cruz points out in his uh, PDF, which again is, is free on my website for free download, he's, he, he highly suggests getting a nebulizer, as does Dr. Madej and countless other individuals, and the five docs recommend it too. Um, and then using 3% food-grade hydrogen peroxide mixed in with, again, 50% of that, and then f using 50% of distilled water. And then you fill up your nebulizer and you breathe. Uh, the directions for how to nebulize and where to get a nebulizer are also on the PDF. Again, you can pick up nebulizers at uh, on Amazon, among other places, I'm sure. But um, it's again, it's for respiratory health. It's for blood health. It's to increase the likelihood of oxygen within your bloodstream so that, again, the cells in the body can basically heal themselves and heal you. So there you go. Uh, again, check out that book, The One Minute Cure by Madison Cavanaugh. If you're, if you're curious, it's a very small book. I like it. It's exactly how I would design a book. Um, 113 pages. It's a very quick read, full of lots of information. Um, great history lessons in here, too, on the uh, corruption within the medical profession and a thousand other things. So, But again, it seems like the vast majority of the book talks about the importance of hydrogen peroxide and increasing the, the amount of oxygen within your body and how that alone cures countless things, including cancer. So there you go. And again, if you want to check out that PDF from Dr. Cruz, it's free on my website under the documents section on AmericanEducationFM.com. I'll catch you on Wednesday, everybody. Take care. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.